We're going to look at two passages of Scripture tonight. The first one is from 2 Samuel 7, which is found on page 245. 245 in your Pew Bibles. And then the other one is Luke 2, 833. So 245 and 833 are the passages you're going to want in your hand. We're going to be framing our service this week and next week with the David story that we've been preaching on uh, throughout this semester. And this week, a little bit more of an Advent bend. And next week, a little bit more of a Christmas bend. And next week, we'll be celebrating communion. And we'll do it again with the candles. And uh, it'll be a wonderful time to be together before you all disperse and go home. It's almost here. So next week, communion. We'll celebrate it together. 2 Samuel 7. So this is the context. David has this idea. He's looking around. He says, well, I live in this really great place. And uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God still lives in a tent, and I should build it a house. And Nathan the prophet says, oh, that that sounds like a good idea. But then God comes to Nathan and says, "Uh uh-uh, no, tell him no. I'm not going to, he's not going to build me a house. I'm going to build him a house. So we're going to pick it up at verse 8. And this is Nathan talking to David. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And then flip to Luke 2, probably a more familiar passage. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Interesting note. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of, yes, called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of, there you go. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver the child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth 
and laid them in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of a Savior who is a Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's taken place which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Last spring, I had the opportunity to travel into the Denver airport. And in the Denver airport, you get off this escalator up at the top, and you land in this area where there's this rope, and behind the rope are the people who are waiting to greet the travelers. And as I came up from the escalator, I saw behind the rope this big crowd of people. And they had signs, and they had American flags, and they had yellow ribbons, and they had this big sign that said, Welcome home, Wesley. And so I thought, there's going to be a thing here. <laughs> and I was not in a hurry at all. I didn't have anywhere to go. And so I just waited with them. And it was one of those ropes, you know, that they like stretch from one post to the next post. And they were like pressing against it. And they were on tiptoe. And they were... He just kept looking and waiting and looking and waiting. And you could just, you could feel the energy. You could feel the anticipation. You knew that this event right here, this moment was a holy moment and it was a long time coming. You could tell that these people had been hoping and praying and longing for this moment. And they were behind that rope, but they were behind it on tiptoe because they were so excited about what was yet to come. And when I think about that image in the season of Advent, I think about all of us who are waiting behind that rope. I think this week about Noah Reitenberg, one of our students, a first-year student who's starting chemotherapy this week. He's doing the freshman thing. He's enjoying his first semester. They find a weird lump. They check it out. Turns out it's lymphoma. I think about standing behind that line with Jacqueline England, who fought cancer before and thought it was beat, and now it's back. Another one of our students. We stand behind the rope with Ron Nidham, a seminary professor, Calvin alum, 
who fought leukemia four years ago, and now it's back. And we stand with these people, and we stand with them and our, their families, and we look, and we wait. And as we wait, we pray, because we don't know what's going to come. We don't know if there will be a miracle of healing. We don't know if the meds will do their work. We don't know if the chemotherapy will work this time. And we are standing on tiptoe with them and longing, longing. And we stand behind the rope with the professor and the student who were involved in the situation because they are longing with us for a world where these things don't happen. They stand with us, we stand with them, because we are all waiting for a time and a place where sexual harassment, where abuse of power doesn't happen anymore, where it's not even an option anymore. We stand we stand and we long and we wait behind that rope with people in our community who are very anxious about their futures. Seniors who are wondering about graduate school. Am I going to get in? Where am I going to get in? What's that going to look like? People who are planning weddings. I have this partner in life. Wow, this is really risky. This is an amazing thing. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. We stand and wait with people in our community who struggle with mental health issues and try to get the medications right so that they can think clearly and be present in class and do their work well. We stand behind the rope and we are on tiptoe and we are so ready. The Gospel of Luke was written to people who were waiting. The Gospel of Luke was written to people who were waiting. Jesus had come once. Would he come again? At the beginning of the Gospel, there are a couple of verses that people usually don't preach on, where Luke says, here's why I'm writing this, so that you'll know the truth. And I did my homework, I researched, I talked to people, and I wrote it all down so that you would know. And I find it really interesting that there are certain details about the birth of Christ that Luke does not include. We, wouldn't it be nice if he, like, in all of his testimony and all of his talking with people and all of his research, like, he found out, like, exactly what date Jesus was born on? Or, like, what Jesus looked like? He had a small dimple in his left cheek. He was born bald. <laughs> 14 hours of labor. <laughs> oh, it's coming for some of you. I'm a truth teller, people. We think, Luke, why didn't you put some of these fun details in? Like, how much did Jesus weigh? And how much did he cry? And did Mary have a midwife? Please tell us that somebody in Joseph's family in the entire city was a midwife, was there with her in the moment. Luke, come on. There are certain details that he leaves out. 
But there's one detail that gets repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. Joseph was from the house and line of? And so he went to the city of? And the angel said, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddly clothes in the city of? And then the chapter preceding this, Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, you're going to have a baby. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be the son of the most high. And he will inherit the throne of his ancestor. Luke works very hard to connect the birth of Jesus with the house of David. Why? The house of David, not that classy. I mean, we've, we've known the stories of the house of David. We've seen the life of David. And after his son Solomon is done, the kingdom splits. And every now and then there'll be one of his descendants who rises up and they like discover the law. This actually happens. Oh, we have a law? We have Torah? We should read that. Every now and then you get somebody who stands up and calls the people back into relationship with God, calls them back to obedience. But for a lot of the time, the house of the David is a mess. In fact, in 2 Chronicles 21, there's a story about Jehoram. He kills all of his brothers in order to secure the throne. And it says this, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his descendants forever. Luke wants to tie the birth of Jesus to the house of David, not because of David, but because of God. Luke wants to tie the birth of David to the fulfillment, the birth of Jesus, to the fulfillment of the promises that were made to David. Luke is saying here, hey, everybody, he's here. He's here. Look, he's here. God kept his promise. He's come. He's here. Because Luke knows the people who are waiting get impatient. We get impatient. How many times do you check your email? Are my grades in yet? Did I hear from that graduate school yet? Is it going to happen for me yet? We get impatient. And impatient people do stupid things. It's all throughout Scripture. This is an old sin. Impatient people do stupid things. Oh, baby's not coming. I don't know. Uh, use my maid. It happens all the time. People do stupid things because they're impatient. They can't wait. Which is why in the Psalms, again and again and again, it says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. And Luke says, I know what it's like to wait. I know what it's like to be impatient. And the antidote to impatience is testimony. The antidote to impatience is testimony. And so Luke says, while you wait, I'm going to tell you a story. And it's a good one. I'm going to tell you a story about how God works in the world. While you wait, I'm going to tell you a story. Because I know that Jesus came once 
And I know that he will come again because God keeps his promises. Luke says, I look back on the promise that was made in 2 Samuel. I look back on that promise that God made to David and the house of David and I show you how it is fulfilled. Do you see how God works? Do you get it? Do you see how he works? He made a promise and he fulfilled the promise. So while you are waiting for him to fulfill the promise that he will come back again, I want you to read this story again and again. Hear my testimony again and again and remember that God keeps his promises. When I was standing at the Denver airport watching this crowd of people, it wasn't long before they got even higher on tiptoe. And one of them said, there he is, there he is. And they all started to wave their flags because they couldn't get past the line. And they waved their flags and they were jumping and they were screaming. And Wesley, this burly young Afghanistani soldier comes, you can just see he's got the patties, he's got his big, he's, and he had a smile as big as all outdoors. Because he came up that escalator in the Denver airport and he was home and he knew it and he comes on in and he is just like engulfed by these people and they just smother him. And all of us who were around, we were crying. <laughs> I was crying. In fact, this morning while I was practicing my sermon, I was crying all over again, remembering it. It was so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Because when you see someone who has waited, even if you don't even know them, and you see that their waiting has been fulfilled, and this person that they have been praying for, oh, please, God, send him back home. Please bring him back in one please. Please, God, bring him back to us. And you see that those prayers are answered right there in your midst. You can't help but rejoice with them. You can't help but claim that as testimony. The antidote to impatience is testimony. And so as we stand behind the line with Noah and Jacqueline and Ron, as we stand behind the line with a globe that has been consumed by greed and people are playing the price, as we stand behind the line in a Calvin community that is disillusioned and disappointed and broken and hurting, as we stand behind the line, it is time for testimony. If you are a cancer survivor, you need to write Noah and Jacqueline and Ron a note. You need to give testimony. If you are someone who has endured abuse and has lived to tell and are stronger because of the way God has healed you in the broken places, you need to tell the story. And you don't have to tell it publicly, you don't have to tell it to the whole wide world, but there may be one other person whose life is changed because you are able to bear witness. If you are someone who is living a simpler life so that others can have enough, you need to tell about that. If you are someone who is living a sexually pure life, as hard as that is, you need to talk about it. You need to say, here's why I'm doing it. You need to give testimony. Here's how God's helping me. Here's how I've seen him along the way. Just last week, I was sitting on the couch of my best friend. It's like one of my favorite places in the whole wide world. 
And she was saying to me, do you remember where you were this year, this Christmas time? Do you remember this? Do you remember what your life was like? Do you see what God's done since then? And I was able to say back to her, do you remember where you were at this point? And do you see what God's done? And we sat on our couch and our big mugs of tea and we had tears in our eyes because we were giving testimony. And we were remembering that whatever we were waiting for behind the line, whatever we were longing for, we knew that we were waiting with God. Because God isn't just on the other side of the line. God's on this side too. God is doing exactly what needs to be done to have our longing fulfilled. He is never in a hurry and he is never late. And in the person of Jesus Christ, we are reminded that God knows what it's like to wait and to suffer and to be betrayed. And he knows what it's like to laugh and to tell stories and to give testimony. So tonight, in a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to write testimony. We have these little slips of paper and pens and little ornaments. And you're going to be invited tonight. On one side, maybe, you're going to write where God has fulfilled a promise, where you have seen God answer prayer, where you have seen God at work in your life or in the life of a friend. And on the other side, maybe you'll write something that you're longing for, something that has you standing behind the rope, some place where you are waiting, waiting for longing to be fulfilled. And maybe it's for you or a friend. Maybe it's for a city or a country. Maybe it's for a societal injustice. So on one side, write where you have seen God's work. And then on the other right side, write where you long to see it. And then we're going to put these in the little ornaments and we're going to move out uh, eventually to the tree and we're going to hang them outside on the tree. And the only way we move from lament to carols, the only way we are able to do this is because in Jesus Christ we have hope. In Jesus Christ, we know that things will not always be this way. In Jesus Christ, we know that redemption will come, that healing will come, that all sorrow and suffering and sin and mourning and crying will be no more because Jesus will return. God keeps his promises. Christ will come again. That's how we are able to move as a community from lament and prayer and mourning to a time of celebration and singing because we believe that Christ will come again. God is a God who kept his promise to the house of David and gave them a baby boy. And God is the God who keeps his promise to the house of Jesus Christ, the church, that the one who came once as a babe in a manger will come again as the king of all.
God keeps his promises. Christ will come again. Will you pray with me?